We're going to be talking again in just a minute about how important it is to be in a city group, but I want to reinforce that real quickly with an opportunity for you. I want to make it super simple. I need a volunteer um, to make it super simple. Um, where's Chris? Any of your guys will do, man. Any of your boys you want to push up here? Uh, I need a, need a volunteer. Now, do you guys know what a QR code is? Um, if you know what a QR code is, raise your hand. QR code. Yep. There are some on our staff who found out what a QR code is this last week. Um, some, uh, I don't really use QR codes that often, but a QR code is pretty snappy. A QR code is something that if you take your phone out, you ready? Yeah, you have no idea what we're doing. Are you? Yeah, you'll be perfect for this. Um, you take your phone out and you, you, you point your camera at a QR code and then magic, right? I trust most of you have iPhones. Um, through the magic of Apple, uh, it just automatically pops up to a link to a form that, where you can sign up for our small group. Now, I want to make it easy for you because some of you, you know, you probably won't scan this QR code. So we have made, Kathy made a QR code costume. Would you please put this on? Yeah. All right. Now, have you seen the guys um, and ladies on the side of the road, like um, dancing with an arrow or a sign? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to see if you can hit the QR code, take your cell phones out and, uh, you know, get them, get them ready, turn your cameras on. And this is what I want you to do. Now, I want you to kind of move down there amongst the people. All right. They're friendly. And I want you to dance like one of those maniacs on the side of the street, like you're pointing people toward a furniture company. Are you ready? Okay. Go for it. Go down there. And now shoot him with your phone and see, our, see what happens. We got to do this quick. The reason is because we have found ourselves. You're not dancing, sir. Um, that's, yeah, um, a little more energy, please. Somebody get this man a coffee. We have found ourselves in isolation because of this pandemic that we have been through, that we are going through, right? That uh, just doesn't seem to go away. Has anybody scanned you yet? Yeah, okay. There are a number of things. Try this side of the room. There are a number of things that, that contribute to this. Um, you know, one of the reasons we find ourselves in isolation is the phenomena of the gig economy. And researchers show that there are a staggering number of Americans who have started working on a contract basis or one gig to the next, not really working for a company, just working for a particular contract or job, moving from one to the other, which causes us uh, or creates a sense of autonomy or independence, but also, uh, you know, one of just sort of moving from one group to the next. How many people are working from home? How many people liked working from home so much that they decided to keep working from home? And the working from home is phenomenal, but sometimes creates a sense of isolation. I don't know about you, but Amazon Prime has become one of my best friends over this last year and a half. And generally we have at least one delivery. Oh, I would say every other day now that things have started going back to normal or something comes uh, from Amazon Prime. My wife was driving back from a trip to see my boys this last week. And on the way home, she said, hey, I just wanna let you know I'm getting ready to check out in my Amazon cart. And I had just a moment of palpitation because I wasn't quite sure what that meant. She wasn't asking, of course, my money, her money, her money, my money. She was just informing me that my phone was going to ding and I was going to see a credit card charge that might cause high blood pressure. Um, you did a great job. You can take that off. Give them a round of applause. Eating, eating from home has caused a sense of isolation. 
delivery, the ease of food being delivered to our homes, the fact that restaurants are short-staffed and oftentimes it's difficult to get in. Some restaurants even closed to be able to eat from home with DoorDash or whatever it is that you want has also caused in some cases a sense of isolation. Isolation is not healthy. And one of the reasons is because isolation, not just, it doesn't just separate us from each other, but it separates us from something that's really important. And that's called perspective. We can begin to lose perspective if we're not careful. And being isolated or living in isolation challenges perspective. The Apostle Paul, as he is writing this great book of Philippians, and today is the last Sunday in a four-Sunday series on Philippians 4. It's the final Sunday in this passage where he's writing about how to have a great attitude, how to make sure that our attitude is Christ-like, because we know that, after all, attitude is extremely important. But today it seems almost so simple, it's hard to believe. Now, this last, well, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I had a problem. My wife, she brought a truck uh, up from Arkansas and the truck had a problem that I wanted to fix. Now, for those who know me like Pastor Dan and others, they know that I'm probably one of the, the least mechanical people who you might run into or bump into. But for those of you who know me well, I, tr I try, I, I enjoy trying and oftentimes we'll take something apart and then have to find somebody who knows what they're doing to help me actually put it back together. This truck has a sliding rear window and the sliding rear window wouldn't slide, which may not be a problem for most people, but for me, if something's not right, that's all I can think about until I get it fixed. So I began to do what you would do. I began to Google solutions on how to fix a sliding rear window. Now, I wanna just let you know ahead of time that this story is going to denigrate Southerners. Um, for those of you Southerners, denigrate means talk down on, right? I'm just teasing with you. I'm just teasing. Pastor Dan is a Southerner. My wife is a Southerner. I lived in the South a long time, but it's going to talk a little bit about Southerners. There were these YouTube videos that talked about how to take apart the rear section of your truck, how to take your seat out, how to take the back apart, and how to make sure that you can take the motor off and replace the motor an hour and 18 minutes and um, that was just the video on how to do it by a mechanic who was in a shop with gloves and tools and assistance and all kinds of stuff that I don't have. And uh, I saw this video that was buried a couple pages down by a guy named Joe Bob or Jim Bob, and I knew it had to be good. And it said a two-minute fix for stuck sliding rear windows. Now the dude's speaking my language. Jim Bob's video on a two-minute fix for fixing your stuck rear sliding window. So I began the video. And as I began the video... He informed me, Jim Bob, that it was 8 o'clock in the morning, and he already had one beer in his hand. Now, I can only assume from the video that he had had several because he was rolling, right? And he's like, sir, you got your truck in, it's got a stuck rear window, and what you do when you got a stuck rear window is you got to fix it. And he's like, I took my truck to mechanic, and I mean, he's just going on and on. The mechanic wanted $600 to fix my rear window. He goes, this is what you do. So I'm listening to the guy, right? I'm, it's hilarious. Could it be informative? This is what he said. I can't do Southern the whole time. What he said is, you feel around the back seat. You pull down the armrest, you feel, you feel for a hard spot, right? Behind the back seat. So uh, when you feel on the hard spot, he says, should be about right here, pointed where it was. What do you do? He goes, you whack it with a hammer. That's what he said. Whack it with a hammer. The hard spot. I think that's how, whack it. That was it, whack it? I, I don't know. You have to, Jim Bob's videos, look them up. Not now, I'm talking to you now. Some other time if you get a stuck rear window. But he said, first, you don't just whack it with a hammer. You gotta get your wife, your wife, to push the button back and forth and back and forth. And I said, well, my wife's great at pushing buttons. This should be easy for me to do. I thought, what's the big deal? Why not try Jim Bob's solution to fix the sliding rear window? 
And so I grabbed a rubber mallet and I grabbed a towel because I didn't want to scuff my leather. And I walked out and I said, Joy, I need my wife to push my buttons. And, and uh, I whacked it with a hammer. And on the fourth whack, and I mean, I whacked it hard, oink, it started working. And Jim Bob said, it's been working for three years. And it, I've only had it for 24 hours. As of this morning, still working. Unbelievable. Whack it with a hammer. So if you guys need me to fix your vehicles, I'll do it cheap, no problem. You got to make sure my wife said, push your buttons and we'll, we'll take care of it. Sometimes these simple solutions are right in front of your face. Sometimes they seem too, too good to be true. Sometimes we want to make an hour and 18 minute video and get complicated and have to have assistance and gloves and tools. And then sometimes you just get to whack it with a hammer. Today, the apostle Paul is teaching us how to just whack it with a hammer. He's like, look, you guys make this way too hard. This is one of the easiest things that you're going to want to know. It's one of the simplest things to do. It's difficult, but it's simple and it's easy, right? Difficult and easy at the same time. How? Well, because it's easy enough to do, but it's hard to wrap your mind around and to decide, hard to take that first step. But he says, when you're ready, just whack it with a hammer and everything's going to change. And it talks about attitude. It talks about perspective. It's one of the things that's going to change your worldview. It's something that will change every relationship that you have. It's something that is guaranteed to change your success or your failure in this life, both emotionally, physically, and most importantly, spiritually. If you apply these things, don't overcomplicate. Whack it with a hammer, your life will change. Attitude, it's not the only thing, but it's a really important thing. You and I know that things can't make us happy. How many of us have tried to put things in our life that makes us happy? When there's a what that makes you happy, then there's a what else or a what's next, right? Sometimes when there's a who that makes you happy, there's a who else or a who's next, which is even worse. Things can't make us happy. People can't make us happy. We're the ones who choose to be happy, to have a good attitude. The fastest way to change our life is to change our attitude. And the only way to be successful spiritually is to figure this out and get it right. The great thing is that God not only wants to help you, but has promised to help you. And this is the application of the four weeks. This is the final uh, installment where the Apostle Paul just breaks it down. Because, you know, the first week we talked about joy in the Lord, right? And I was like, you know, how trite and spiritually superficial can you be when someone's going through real life stuff? And they say, well, just have joy in the Lord, brother or sister. And you're like, man, get out of here with that junk, right? Don't, don't talk to me. You don't know me. And then we talked about how, no, it wasn't superficial. It wasn't a 36,000-foot flyover. He wasn't dropping some platitude on us. The Apostle Paul was saying God knows everything, he sees everything, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He is paying attention, and you are necessary, intentional. You can have joy. The second week, we talked about the secret to always being successful every single day, and that is to leave a drop of grace with every footstep that we take throughout the day. Every person we bump into we leave a little drop of grace. We do a little improvement. We install or instill or encourage to speak a word of hope. Even sometimes it's just a smile and a recognition 
And then when you get to the end of the day, you look back and say, yeah, today I have succeeded. I may not have controlled my life, but I helped make other people's lives a little better. And then the third week we talked about how we didn't have to worry, but we can. We don't have to worry about anything, but we can. And everything with prayers and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God will stand guard over our hearts. And the Apostle Paul's saying, these are the things that are important. And Paul goes through a writing, um, a cycle that, that I really appreciate. Because I've been to school for a long, long time. And um, I appreciate people who've been to school. When you're a pastor, you're supposed to go to school because you don't just make this stuff up. I mean, you, you, know, you need to learn and study and read and, and have mentors. And that's all very important. But it's not the most important. The most important is actually doing the things that seem simple to many people, but escape or evade many people who are just concerned about the knowledge. After a double major, after two masters, doctoral work in two different graduate institutions, what I've realized is that learning isn't hard, but doing this kind of stuff, having joy in the Lord, leaving drops of grace in people's lives, not being filled with worry or anxiety, that's what's hard. And I'm so much more interested in talking about that than I am about the nuances of doctrine and theology and arguing with people about opinions and perspectives. Those are important. The Apostle Paul writes about these things, but he always comes up for air. He'll come up for air and he'll say, live this way. Don't forget, live this way. And then he'll go down into the depths and talk about theology and doctrine and things that are, well, they're important. And then he pops back up and he says, don't forget, you have to live this way. Because if you don't live it, first of all, it's not real in your life. And secondly, no one wants what you got. Because they see what you're selling and they know it's empty. So let's read this together for the last time for a while. We're going to break it down. And remember, we're just going to whack it with a hammer today. It's just that simple. Always be full of the joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Now remember, think about such things and put into practice. Those are the two things that we're going to talk about today. And then the God of peace will be with you. Super simple if we decide we're going to do it. I want to break it down for you. The first three weeks were conceptual. These are the things. We need to have joy. We need to not worry. We need to leave drops of grace. This is the answer to the question, how? Because if you're talking to me, I'm talking to you, we're hanging out, I'm explaining these things to you. You're like, I see it, Pastor. I hope you just call me Rick. I get it. I think I want it. How do I do it? And Paul's like, look, don't worry. I'm going to tell you. Don't overcomplicate. Don't get theological. Don't impress me with your words. Don't get into the deep weeds with me. Don't pull out your volumes. I want to talk to you. We're just going to whack it with a hammer. It's just that simple. Two things. Let's look at them together. Here we go. We have a trained mind and a teachable spirit. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, 
whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's talk for a second about a trained mind. This is one of the most powerful and important truths that you and I can learn. That we choose the thoughts that we think. And you can only think one thought at a time. Unless you're female, and we learned in our Bible study. No, 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 we learned. We learned in our Bible study that females keep their windows open. It, do, it means they're more, more complex and developed than men are. You guys might be able to think about a couple. But for a man, I'll just speak from a man's perspective, I can only think about one thing at a time. If something new comes in, something goes out. And usually, if you ask me what I'm thinking, you're going to be disappointed if I choose to tell you. Now, this is a list. Now, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to think, right? And the word think just means to carefully consider, to form a conclusion. What's a conclusion? The last thought you think when you're done thinking. So he says, look, I want you to be done thinking. I want you to form a conclusion. And he lists eight words. Now, don't get caught up in the list. People, pastors, they go, well, if I got to think eight things at once to get this right, I got to have an hour and 18 minute video with tools and gloves and, and, and assistance. And he just chose a list of virtues. Virtue and vice was so common in the culture that the apostle Paul was writing this letter to in its original context, and he just picked a list of virtues. And by the way, this is all on your app. This PDF is all on your app. So you can look at me and I can look at you and we can talk right now. If you want the notes, it's available for you through the app, through a PDF file. But um, he just picked a list of virtues that were Christian, right? But it wasn't necessarily Christians who were, who were trying to do these things or, or trying to act this way. Sometimes a person can be, well, godly without being Christian. They can be a good person and do things that look virtuous, but don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's the relationship with Jesus that makes it real, that gives it context and foundation. It's the difference between life and death. But he's saying, listen, I want you to think about these things. He is giving a list that the original audience would have been familiar with. It'd have been like, oh, I get it. Be positive, be optimistic. Live in a world where the glass is half full, not half empty. Choose the thoughts you're going to think because there's a war that you're living in. And friends, the war that we live in is not just physical and it's not just emotional, it's spiritual. And friends, Satan doesn't just want to ruin your day. He wants to destroy your life. And the Bible tells us over and over again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can choose what we think. And we can choose to be pessimistic and negative, bitter and jaded, which makes us become less approachable, less loving, more judgmental and obnoxious. Or we can choose, the older we get, the longer we grow in Christ to become a little softer in our hearts and a little more compassionate and a little more like Jesus. I was talking to Joy just a couple days ago when we remembered that today was the anniversary, or at least within a day, of the day that last year I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Now, um, I wasn't thinking about it. Um, it just sort of occurred to me because every day when you take a pill to stay alive, how many of you take pills to stay alive? I mean, unfortunately, most of us take 
you know, a lot of us take pills to stay alive. And uh, I figured that if, you know, this apocalypse happens and the zombies come, that I'm going straight to the pharmacy. I'm not going to the bank. I'm going to steal thyroid medication. I'm not, I'm not going to steal anything. God will provide. But we were talking about um, a year ago being diagnosed. And um, it's weird. And really before the first service, I hadn't told anybody this. I wasn't really planning to because it makes me sound weird. That's never stopped me before with you guys. Don't judge me. Um, if you do, I'm okay with that. But when I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer, the doctor said, well, there's good news and bad news. He said, the good news is, or the bad news is you have cancer. The good news is that it's a treatable form of cancer. And he said, best case scenario, it'll be a cancer of inconvenience. We'll get it taken care of. But he said, the next year is going to stink. That's what he said. And um, at that point, um, I can't explain to you. Many of you understand what I'm talking about. Many of you have faced far greater things and are facing far greater things. But there was a weight that came on me or upon me. And immediately there was a battle for my thoughts and a battle for my mind. And it came on me in a weird spot. Now, some of you know that I get dressed, my closet, you don't know where I get dressed, that would be really weird, right? My closet is downstairs. Now, I told you the story when we moved into our new house, there's not a closet upstairs in our master bedroom big enough for Princess Joy, her clothes and her shoes. So I um, gave Joy my closet, the closet upstairs, her closet, and I go downstairs, all the way down the stairs, Joy, all the way across the basement, all the way through the guest bedroom to the closet downstairs, and that's where all my stuff is. Now, it's weird, but it hit me in the closet. I was down there thinking, getting dressed, and I just had this overwhelming sense of dread, this weight that came on me. I didn't know if I could walk out of the closet, literally. Now, I had a friend earlier who was like, ha ha, you talk about coming out of the closet. Don't misunderstand where I'm going with this story, okay? We're talking about spiritual things and setting our mind on things above. I could not get out. And the what ifs were just literally pounding me, like hailstones waiting to break. What if you die? What if you don't have good health? What if you go nuts and, you know, this thyroid medication never gets regulated? What if you can't do your job? What if you can't preach? What if, what if, what if, what if? Will you? I mean, and I just was overwhelmed and literally had to put the right thoughts in my brain so that I could walk out of the closet. I'll tell you this, hadn't told anybody, even my wife, before first service, I just started avoiding the closet. I'd take my clothes and put them upstairs. Not in Joy's closet, don't get me wrong, but next to the bed so that I could get dressed upstairs. I didn't wanna face the thoughts that I had somehow associated with the closet. And I had to decide every single day before every test, before every phone call, before the surgery, before every medication change, what thoughts am I gonna think today? What do I believe? What is the conclusion that I'm going to form that's gonna shape my worldview? that's going to shape my relationships, that's gonna shape my success and my failure, that I can have joy in the Lord even though the circumstances are difficult. 
And with every negative, there's a positive. Thank you, God, that it's not worse. Thank you, God, that if I have to get cancer, this is the kind I got. Thank you, God, that it's treatable. Thank you, God, that you've given me a body that's healthy and a wife that's loving and a church that's understanding. I mean, there's always a positive to every negative. But you have to choose, and if we let ourselves get sucked down the rabbit hole of entitlement and self-pity and expectation, sometimes we never come up. And Paul says, listen, choose today what you're going to think and what you're going to believe because it changes everything, including how you feel. Sure, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. What Paul's talking about is the stuff he just finished explaining, and we're going to get to that again in just a minute. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words that are true and filled with knowledge, Proverbs 23, 12. So train your mind. Choose what you're going to think. Be positive and optimistic. Let the negative go. Focus on these truths that we're discussing. And then the second thing is super simple. Whack it with a hammer. Be teachable because you and I get it wrong. I'm so bad at this. I mean, some days, oh, man, yeah, we do really well. Some days, wonder when it's going to take. Have a teachable spirit. The Apostle Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Now think about this. This is not a self-righteous person standing up in a platform somewhere as a pastor saying, I'm above you, I'm holy, I'm spiritual, listen to me, I'm the authority, I'm God's anointed. This is a person who's saying, man, not only am I like you, but man, I have a harder time than you do. I mean, sure, in my former life, I had more degrees and more popularity and more importance and better position and everybody feared me and respected me and yeah, I was a killer of Jews. Uh, Christians, excuse me, somebody who wanted Christianity to die. And you know what? One day I was knocked off my horse, blinded, found Jesus. And when I found Jesus, or when Jesus found me, everything changed. And by the way, when it changed, I didn't fall my, or find myself in a life of prosperity. I found myself chased from town to town. I found myself lied about. Friends turned their back. People misunderstood. I was judged. I was imprisoned. I was beaten. I was snake bit. I was shipwrecked. What's your list, right? And you're like, I, I got nothing, Paul. I mean, you know, I mean, I've had a little of that, but I hadn't had all of that. And he says, listen, you know me. And I'm telling you not because I'm great at it. I'm telling you because it's the only thing that matters when you see me doing it realize that I'm just trying to do what Jesus did. And when you see this, what you've learned or received or heard from me or seen, put it into practice. Now, this is where I want us to go back to the dancing QR code. Because he's talking to a group of people. The you is not singular. The you is plural. And when he says you put it into practice... He's assuming and instructing that you and I are living in close contact with other believers. Now, let me explain close contact for a second. Close contact is not a superficial sort of friendship where when we see each other, we talk about Iowa State football or the weather or international events. Those things are great. But close contact is where you have people in your life you're talking about 
the things that are really important in life with. People who you're willing to, over time, allow yourself to be known by. And people who, over time, you allow yourself to really know. Because isolation brings a very myopic or nearsighted point of view. It's dangerous. When I'm the only one evaluating my decisions, my conclusions, my choices, when life is all about me, I can't see myself clearly. I begin to make bad decisions. Find myself on an island with such a narrow point of view of life that not only is it unrealistic, but can be really dangerous. You and I, as we put these things into practice, need each other in difficult times because the heart needs healing. Do you know one of the ways, one of the primary ways that I got through this last year with the difficult moments that I had was you guys and close friends because I couldn't always see it in my own life. Sometimes the weight of whatever we're going through drowns out or crushes the joy and the hope and the peace that we're guaranteed and we're given in our relationship with Jesus. And sometimes we get so disconnected and disillusioned when we feel that. But if we step back, we realize I'm living by myself, with myself to consult, myself to be encouraged, myself to congratulate, myself to console. And the Apostle Paul, through his pen and through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says you're not supposed to be by yourself. Because there are times when the heart's going to hurt so badly that you can't see what's true. But if you have people in your life who love you, they'll point you that way and together you'll get through. Sometimes your strength is what I have to have in my life to get through difficult times. And sometimes my strength is what you need in yours and we're not supposed to be strong all the time. Sometimes in great times, we need each other because the heart needs humility. Good gracious, do we need humility. I had the privilege of having coffee with a good friend this last week, and God's been blessing his life. He's an awesome guy, um, smart guy, accomplished guy, capable guy, and we were just looking back over the last couple of years and, and just together, just sort of talking about a timeline of how hard work, dedication, uh, intelligence, all these things act or factored into great success. But God's blessing the entire way. And sometimes you and I, if we're not careful, we take credit for every good thing that happens in our life. And we forget that when we are successful, even though it takes hard work, determination, intelligence, sacrifice, and all this other stuff, God gave us that intelligence. He put us in the right spot. He brought people into our lives, opportunities that we may not ever have. Life turns. I mean, everything hinges or pivots on two things, circumstance and people. And God controls circumstances and God brings people. We can't do that in our life. We can react or act. But God directs and controls. And when there's people there to help us get perspective, not only does it help us know what to do with the success that we have and to honor the Lord with the life he's given, but it helps us make next steps. And we have to have that for each other. 
What a privilege it is to live that way. And third, in average times, and my goodness, this is one of the times when we need it the most. We need each other because life can be a war of attrition, can't it? And sometimes it's just great to have somebody in your life that when you're feeling a little lethargic, when you're feeling down, or God forbid, we've just messed up, that we have somebody there in our life who's gonna grab us by the hand and not let us fail. Period. What I'm talking to you about is important when you're in the closets of life. It's important when you're experiencing the victories in this life. It's important when you're just living the daily grind and experiencing a war of attrition in life. What I'm talking to you about is something that's so important that you're not too busy for it. It's something that if you arrange your life because it's a priority, you'll find God's blessing in it. It's something that's very easy for us to justify not being involved in or to participate in. But one of the most important decisions that you and I can make if we want to get good at this stuff. And that is that we have to live our life in a herd. One of the reasons that we do city groups is not just to entertain you. It's not just so that we can find you a friend so that you can shoot the breeze and have somebody on Sunday that you can sit by. Those are great byproducts. It's so that you can be with other people who are just like you, who are just trying to figure out how to live their lives in honor of the Lord, who they want like you want. They want their attitude to be their greatest asset and not their greatest liability. They want people in their life to see Jesus in them, but they're not sure how. And friends, if you think you're the only one like that, everyone's like that. And we have to have each other to figure it out. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I've learned in 51 years of life that I can't do it myself. If that seems too weak for you, that's okay. Because the apostle Paul even said himself, God's grace is all we need. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we're weak, other people can see how strong that God is. Finally, and this is how we're going to close and conclude. This is, I wish I had so much time to talk about this. We don't. We're going to move through this very, very quickly. I want to talk to you about the kind of peace. Now, last week we talked about peace. And I said, the peace of God will stand guard over your hearts like a soldier saying, you want to come in, you want to try to get Rick or or Joy or Dan or Lori, you got to come through me. And that's great in times of trouble. God gives us an extra measure of peace. Certainly, I mean, we talked about it. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But this week in verse 9, the Apostle Paul, and this is the culmination, the sum total of the three things we talked about last, the last three weeks, and then today, the thinking and the doing. He says, when you do these things, now it's subtle, but it's important. Not God's peace, but the God of peace. Do you follow? You tracking? God will give you your peace or his peace in times of trouble. But if you do these things, you will walk with the God of peace. That on a daily, on a 24-7, that you're going to live life with the God. 
of peace. And when the Bible tells us the God of peace will be with you, the word with means time and space. The God's going to, the peace of God, the God of peace will be with us in, in due time, right? But also is with us in this present moment, is with us in the now, and is with us as we live this life for him. So, that's it. Whack it with a hammer. It's as simple as simple can possibly be. You choose what thoughts you're going to think, but if you try to think them alone, you're going to fail. Guaranteed, because God didn't create us to live alone. So, if we want to think the thoughts, to live this kind of life, if we want to rise above, if we want an attitude that prevails, if we want people to see Jesus in us, we have to choose the thoughts that we think, and we have to choose to think them in a community of other believers. That's the way God created us to be, and that's the reason we talk so much about city groups. We had a dancing QR code up here. Well, he, would, he didn't really dance, did he? But he was, you know, he had some energy. But you're also sitting on a QR code or a card, and um, there's one on the screen. I'm encouraging you to do this because I love you. And this is what I would tell anyone who I love. If you are interested in learning more about our city groups, which meet, by the way, on Wednesday evenings, while the kids have children's activities and also youth activities, they meet in homes within 10 minutes of the church. We also have groups that meet on Sunday evening. For those of you who don't have kids in kids' activities or when Wednesday is not a possibility, all you have to do is fill out a card, scan the QR code, put your information in. Kathy or Dan will connect with you, will explain to you that you don't have to be a Bible scholar to come. That no one's going to put you on the spot or ask you any questions that you can't answer. That you don't have to share if you don't want to. That all we do is talk about the things that we discuss on Sunday mornings. For example, how is it that we can think positive thoughts when we find ourselves locked in the closet of life. I mean, how many of us have, have tried to avoid the closets, have tried to, to, to bust out, to try to crowd other things in our heads so we don't think the thoughts? How many of us have done things in destructive ways? And as we begin to share with each other, we begin to grow together. And as we begin to grow together, you find a strength that you've never known before. 10, 12 people who are like you, trying to do the same thing you're trying to do to let God's strength be seen the weaknesses in our life. So sign up. They start in two weeks. They just go for eight weeks. Why? Because I know that in November things get busy. I know Thanksgiving season's tough. I know Christmas is insane. They start again in February on Super Bowl Sunday, the Wednesday after Super Bowl Sunday. They just go eight weeks. Why? Because I know that after Easter things get so nuts that it's almost impossible to, to carve out time. It's just an eight-week commitment that I promise will change your life. So let me pray for you. And I'm going to pray for your attitude. I'm going to pray that you have an attitude that's your greatest asset so that you can live for Jesus. Father, thank you for my friends.